In 1521, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was asked to recant his writings. Luther responded, Unless I am convinced from the sacred scriptures that I am in error, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Will you stand with us as we proclaim these Reformation truths in the 21st century? You can take your stand by becoming a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc. Find out the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Click the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Help us proclaim the solas of the Reformation. Scripture, faith, grace, and Christ alone. Here we stand, Issues Etc. and you. sacraments often think of them baptism the lord's supper as merely ordinances commands mandates that christ has given to his church and and they leave it at that but they must know something is missing why would christ command us to do these things if they're mere symbols if they're really nothing in and of themselves except outward acts and when those christians begin to seriously engage what the scriptures have to say about baptism and the lord's supper what they find is, well, something far more than symbol, very realistic language. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's Issues Etc. Reformation Week, and this is our series on paths to Lutheranism today from Baptist to Lutheran. Dr. Mark Seifrey joins us. He's senior professor of New Testament at Concordia Seminary, formerly served as chair in New Testament interpretation at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and he's author of a column for the Issues Etc., a journal titled Wittenberg Trail, My Long Journey Home. Dr. Seyfried, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. What started you as a teenager on your path away from your Lutheran upbringing? Well, it's going to sound strange, but it was, in a sense, my Lutheran pastor in a suburb of Chicago, Geneva, Illinois. His name was Del Rosine. He's now with the Lord. He was really remarkably influenced by the Catholic priest at the parish right next door, St. Peter's. The name of the priest was Bill McMahon. I assume he's with the Lord, too. I don't know whether he's living or not. But Bill McMahon, the priest, had been involved with the charismatic renewal within the Catholic Church, and he had influence on Del Rosine. And the details of this are not all that important, but for me, I was in my senior year in high school in the midst of teenage rebellion, and I was invited to go to a prayer meeting in someone's home one Friday evening. And I don't really remember too much of what went on at that prayer meeting, except in a rather remarkable way, I was just sitting there doing listening and trying to follow what was going on, and an overwhelming sense of Christ's love came over me. In a certain sense, it was a classic reformational experience. I suddenly realized in a way that I hadn't before that Christ died for me, even for me in my rebellion, even for me. And if you'd asked me before that, you know, you know, you know, who's Jesus Christ? I would have said, you know, he's the savior for the world or whatever. But this recognition that would, even for me struck me like, like a hammer blow. 
And this experiential dimension, we can come back to this question of experience, if you like, along the way, it's related to Baptist life, was something entirely new to me. But at the same time, it's going to sound odd in the way, I couldn't go with the charismatic stuff. I, I think I already had too much catechism in me. And this notion of sort of a second blessing by the Holy Spirit or a second act of a baptism by the Holy Spirit, it just didn't fit. So, as I mentioned, I was a senior in high school and was off to um, the University of Illinois in the fall and quickly became involved with the Navigators, a parachurch group that still operates, I think, on large universities' campuses and probably too involved as a student. Not too much, they just took too much of my time. But eventually, keeping the story short, I, for a brief period, went on staff with them. And so that was my pathway away. We can pick up some of the threads from that if you like. How did you end up landing at an evangelical seminary? What was your time there like? Well, I just mentioned I, was on, I had been on staff with the Navigators, and I was, had an assignment at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Uh, side note here, we were still in contact, my wife I was married by this time, with Lutherans, and it was actually the Lutheran Layman's League at Trinity Lutheran in Urbana, Illinois, that very kindly provided the funds for me to do beginning Greek at Concordia Ann Arbor <laughs> in sort of the 1980-81. But I'd already, when we went to this assignment to Ann Arbor, I'd been thinking about theological study, and just the experience of being a staff member made me realize this is not for me, and I, if I'm going to do this stuff, I need to have some sort of theological education. And I was in a, I'd been in an evangelical context during this time in the parachurch and, and at the University of Illinois. So uh, I ended up going to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which is sort of a broad-spectrum evangelical school. It is a denominational school, but the confessional standards are pretty open. John Warwick Montgomery was not teaching there when I went, but he had been teaching there. There had been Lutheran representatives. I think they may have someone now. I'm not sure. So that's where I landed. What was it like? It was, I think it was in some ways, it was very good for me. I was immediately attracted to biblical studies, although I profited from most of the curriculum. And evangelicals, like Baptists, are usually pretty good at exegesis. This Bible is their main thing. So I gained a whole lot there. I wish that there had been a good Lutheran representative on the faculty. There wasn't. I was still in contact with Lutherans. In fact, during my first year, I served as a sort of the, the youth worker at Redeemer Lutheran in Highland Park, Illinois. I don't think that church is still going, but my one criticism of, 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 an, of this evangelical context, and it's, it's a sort of a potpourri then of theological views. We have very Reformed people, some Reformed Baptists, some Baptists, some Methodists. This, there's not a real confessional orientation that one can pick up there. And in a certain sense, when I came in, I didn't know what I finally would be getting. Now, in a certain sense, I was centered on the Bible, so it wasn't the end of the day for me. But I could wish for, and now of course I'm in a confessional context, a theological education that's confessional, openly confessional in orientation, so you know you know what you're going to get. Then through this time at Trinity, 
I was strongly influenced by a couple of faculty members, one in particular, and that led to my being open to becoming a Baptist, which I eventually did. What was it that attracted you to becoming a, a Baptist? I'm not sure that there was anything particular in Baptist life or any particular Baptist teaching, although I had moved into the, this evangelical context. I had, at least for that time, changed my views on baptism. Uh, the Free Church, I should note, is actually, with the question of infant baptism or a confessing baptism, their theology is decidedly not sacramental, but they, they were open as to the candidates. Because of this one influence in my life, I drifted toward a Baptist stance. In other words, there was no particular aspect of Baptist life. It was the theology of this one faculty member that strongly influenced me. So a little Yogi Bearism comes to mind here. In theory, theory and practice are the same. In practice, they're not. And it was more theory that drove me than practice. What influences led you back to Lutheran theology? Well, despite this decision to go Baptist, which was it eventually led to my becoming a Baptist and being called to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I taught, as you know, for a good long while. As I said, with respect to the contact with the charismatic movement, I still had the catechism in me. And even though I had set aside certain aspects of it, it was still there. And in terms of my route back, and this is perhaps, surely is related to my personality, in retrospect, I wasn't conscious of it at the time, but in retrospect, the catechesis that I'd received, it was for three years when I did it, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, that still was operative. That was operative, I should add, as I think maybe I did say, in this prayer meeting, when I suddenly realized Jesus' love even for me, I recognized pretty quickly after that, that didn't just happen. To get, again, to state it in very Lutheran terms, the Spirit doesn't work apart from the Word, but in, with, and through the Word. And it was really the catechetical instruction that influenced me then, it continued in me. So I was always in the background. I was always rethinking things, even though I had changed. And I indicated already I'm oriented toward the Bible, Romans 6, don't you know, Paul tells the Roman Christians, that everyone who has been baptized into Christ Jesus has been baptized into his death. We've been buried into this. Being baptized in his death, we are buried with him in order we might uh, live in the newness of life. This very, this is Romans 6, 3 and 4, this very realistic language about baptism is really difficult for Baptists and other evangelicals to come to terms with. And it was sort of sitting there in the background for me, working at me. And eventually I changed, I, I flipped back, I, my views changed. So it wasn't just an automatic, oh yes, I'm just going to go back to the catechism, although there's nothing wrong with that, but that the scriptures themselves were at work in me, and I, I was rethinking these things. And then, really, there were a couple of significant figures whom I met more in the course of my graduate work and then later when I was already teaching. First, one of them was and remains Peter Stuhlmacher, a New Testament, retired New Testament faculty member in Tübingen. 
And the second was also achieving in faculty member, now also retired, Oswald Bayer. And one's a, and he's, of course, a systematician. In both of them, I found living, breathing Christians who are Lutheran. I'm sure I counted them in the past, but for me, these two were especially important. And I'll remind us and our listeners that Luther didn't want us to call ourselves Lutherans. He wanted us to call ourselves Christians. Now, I realize it's not as clear in our context as it might have been in in his time, but it's, it's actually the larger claim. And these two men, of course, they're very deeply Lutheran, but they were living, breathing, active Lutherans were Christians, and I, I noted this experience I had in this charismatic prayer meeting was very important to me, and I needed, I think, an example of what it means to be an active, living Christian who's a Lutheran. So those three influences, in retrospect, catechism, the scriptures, and then these men. Talk more about what you call the realistic language of the Apostle Paul regarding the sacraments? Well, I've touched on the baptism one already. I mean, if we go to Colossians 2, although there he does speak immediately of faith. The interesting thing about Romans 6, and it does come up down the page in Romans 6 a little bit in an indirect way, but when Paul is speaking in the verses that I cited, don't you know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? He doesn't breathe a word about faith. He simply says, there it is. If you've been baptized, you've been in his name, you've been baptized into his death. That's it. Now, of course, it's not a magic act. Of course, it creates faith in the heart, and faith is essential to it. But the point is, he doesn't make faith a precondition. And he speaks in this very, very realistic way. Now, I think I'm going to go off on a little aside here, but I think it may fit the discussion. It leads me to a comment on Baptist life, uh, again, with the distinction between theory and practice. You know, some Lutherans wonder if Baptists wreck the doctrine of justification, and I suppose that some do, but in general, I don't think that's the case. And I'll give an example, or in a twofold form. You know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's in the LSB, it's also sort of the evangelical anthem. It's, it's sung all the time, and it is the second part, and significantly, I think the test of what someone really believes or what a group believes comes to expression quite often in funeral services. And if you go to an evangelical funeral service or a Baptist one, you're likely to hear and you're likely to sing Amazing Grace. But they have an understanding of grace, but my comment is, it's confused and constricted and first Christian living. And because I'm going to use a very Lutheran term from the Augsburg Confession, effective, they're sacramentarian. That is to say, they, they make something into a sacrament that is not a sacrament. That is either, and it varies a little bit, but either the experience, like the one I described of my own, of recognizing the saving significance of Jesus' death for me, or some sort of decision that one has made. But that an experience or some decision is a very weak basis 
on which to build one's confidence. And as a friend says, uh, this is from Bob Cold, it's okay, you know, you can just evangelical as long as things are going all right. But think it tough, you have to become a Lutheran. So in making some decision or some experience of faith, the basis of Christian living and of thinking, I would argue Baptists and other evangelicals are confused, and that confusion is actually a weakening of Christian life. And here's what it does, and I've got a Lutheran comment here too. If everything is centered upon some experience that you've had in the past, that experience becomes all-important, and it tends to, I can't say it absolutely because God's grace is God's grace and nothing can stop it, and he still works through his word, and evangelicals read the Bible. But if that experience in the past becomes so important, it does not open up fresh experiences of God's grace in Christ. It closes them off because you're entirely focused on one thing that happened in the past. And who knows sometimes, this is my side note, who knows sometimes what sort of experience that was? We'll leave it aside. It's not too surprising. Luther predicted this, and I'm aware of this happening among Baptists, that, you know, someone asks, thinks, well, you know, I thought I believed in Jesus way back when I was nine or ten years old, but I really didn't. And so I have to commit myself again, as I'm really going to become a Christian now, you know, that you never know really certainly when faith came to you, whereas Lutherans have a good answer. It was given to me by Jesus Christ himself in baptism, which on the other side then, and this is my Lutheran comment on it, Knowing this does not cut us off as Lutherans, or at least it shouldn't. It does not cut us off as Lutherans from fresh experiences of Christ. It opens the door to them, because there's no definitive experience. Everything is given and done in baptism. Yet, that's not the end of the story. Christ still gives himself afresh to us day by day through his word, and calls us to experience afresh what he's given to us in baptism day by day, sometimes more dramatically than others. Dr. Mark Seyfried is our guest. He's Senior Professor of New Testament at Concordia Seminary. It's Issues Etc. Reformation Week in our series on Paths to Lutheranism, his path from Baptist to Lutheran. So what was so attractive about the Lutheran alternative to a low view of baptism? Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These listeners have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. Now, there are four levels of giving. The Confessor, $25 monthly, or an annual gift of $250. The Apologist, $50 monthly, or an annual gift of $500. The Reformer, $100 monthly or an annual gift of $1,000. And The Patron, $200 monthly or an annual gift of $2,000. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for confessional Lutheran churches. Learn more about joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. And look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses or call Lynn 618 618- 223-8385 The Issues Etc. Reformation Club The Faith Once for All Delivered to the Saints You're listening to Issues Etc.
Trinity Lutheran Church, LCMS, of Tryon, North Carolina, also serves the South Carolina Upstate. We uphold the confessional standard of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. We follow the apostolic practice of celebrating the Lord's Supper each Lord's Day using a biblical historic liturgy. Our small parish is teeming with little ones along with many of retirement age. Several Issues Etc. listeners have been welcomed into Christ's fold here from outside Lutheranism. We invite any unchurched in the area to join us at 1015 each Sunday. Logia Journal, the Confessional Dogmatic Series. The works of Kurt Marquardt and many other resources are all brought to you by Luther Academy. Did you know that during this time of COVID-19, your purchases and donations help Luther Academy supply these same resources to pastors around the world? Please consider helping us with this important need through your prayers and financial support. Learn how you can help by visiting lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about Dr. Mark Seifried's path to Lutheranism from Baptist theology. He is Senior Professor of New Testament Concordia Seminary, formerly served as Chair in New Testament Interpretation for Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's author of a column for the Issues Etc., a journal titled Wittenberg Trail, My Long Journey Home. Folks, as we approach Reformation Day, October 31st, please consider joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. It's our monthly or annual giving program. Membership levels range from $25 to $200 monthly, and the benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for your confessional Lutheran church. For more information on the Reformation Club, visit the support donate page at issuesetc.org and look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses, or give us a call, 618-223-8385. Support this worldwide outreach by joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. Mark, before the break, you were talking about experience and, and the low view of baptism in Reformed Baptist theology. What was attractive about the Lutheran alternative to that? Well, I guess the first answer is the truth of it, <laughs> because it avoids this evangelical confusion of halfway basing my confidence and knowing that I believe, not just that I believe, but knowing that I believe, my confidence. It, for evangelicals, one more time, it's, it's based on some experience or some decision, which once more is, is a very faulty basis. The Lutheran alternative, which is, it's the biblical alternative, this, we're, we're circling back to Romans 6, is that Christ has given himself to me and for me and lives in me through baptism. I've been buried with him through baptism and death in order I may live in this newness of life that's in him. It's not in my hands anymore. Now, it's, we know this. It's given and done, but we have to be reminded of it in preaching and teaching. We have to be called back to it to know Christ afresh and what he's done. We're never done with this experience during our life here on earth. So on one side is the truth of it, the biblical truth of it, and the other side, it seems to me we can see how when it is taught and believed, it leads into richer and deeper experience of Christ and Christian living. What was the final step for you to return to the Lutheran Confession? In a certain sense, it's difficult for me to, to answer. I, the easy answer is 
the call to go to Concordia St. Louis <laughs> in a sense, not that I was acting even just as practical considerations, but I was confessionally ready to go. And I had been thinking about trying to leave in various other ways. And then this invitation came, which I never expected. We know that there was this monk who married a nun and, and started a reformation. We think, amazing things do happen, but I never expected something like this to come. And when the thought of it came, and, you know, when I did the interview first with Matt Harrison and then the seminary, I, I was ready to go. I remain exceedingly thankful for the warm reception and the possibility of return. But all the theological questions had worked themselves out in my mind. I suppose I had to think one more time about baptism, but I was ready to go. Finally, what will a Baptist find in confessional Lutheran doctrine and practice that's missing in Baptist theology? That's a good question. I've named one of the main things. I should add the comment that, now this is just my hunch, although it's born of some experience among Baptists, that a sacramental understanding of the Lord's Supper is not all that distant from a fair number of Baptists. Some of them thinking Baptists who read the texts and are Baptists do read the words of institution when they celebrate the Lord's Supper. So I think Walter has a comment on the same thing about Roman Catholics. The words read, you know, it has its effect no matter what the doctrine of the priest might be, or in this case, what the, the pastor might say. And I've heard it from Baptist mouths, some very sacramental understandings of the Lord's Supper, simply because the word is read when they celebrate the Lord's Supper. So that one's not so much of a, a hindrance for them, but the baptism is, issue is, is one. So circling back, it's this confidence in Christ as the basis of Christian faith and life. And on the other side, I would urge, and, and it's likely, to be quite honest, to be attractive to a number of young, thinking Baptists and other evangelicals who read their scriptures, have some of the same questions that we've just been talking about, and are looking for an alternative to what they know. From our side, we want to be the church of the open arms, welcoming them, not the church of the closed circle. We want to be as inviting as we can be. And I would say this, this is in a certain sense up to every pastor and teacher, but even more so up to the Lord to strengthen and renew his people. What really confuses Baptists and causes them to think is when they see a living, breathing Lutheran who loves Jesus and is ready to talk about him and is active in serving him because it just doesn't fit their categories. Because most, it varies. Um, we've got a good number of church members who have come to faith in later, later in life within the Lutheran Church. But very often, you know, we're dealing with someone who was baptized as an infant, 
and has grown up in the faith, and this makes a Baptist think. And to be honest, that's if we're in terms of persuading Baptists, this is probably the most effective means <laughs> is to have a church full of healthy Lutheran Christians. Dr. Mark Seifried is Senior Professor of New Testament at Concordia Seminary. He's author of a column for the Issues Etc. journal titled Wittenberg Trail, My Long Journey Home. Dr. Seifried, thank you. Thank you very much, Todd. Blessings to you. The Issues Etc. book of the month for October is called Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran. It's very simple. It's very accessible. It's written at the lay level, but the theology is incredibly deep. You can find out more about Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran, by going to our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order Confessing Jesus, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Ask for the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Confessing Jesus. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll hear Dr. Donna Harrison's story about her path from Roman Catholicism and New Age mysticism to confessional Lutheranism. We'll talk with Greg Mayo about fathers and abortion, and we'll discuss proof texting early church fathers in Roman Catholicism with Dr. Stephen Parks. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. How does Jesus define the Christian's identity? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or look for Confessing Jesus at our website, issuesetc.org. Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org. What makes Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church in Freeburg, Illinois so special? Our new members talk about the family atmosphere, the welcoming people, and the outstanding music. But most importantly, you'll be confronted with your sin and comforted with the assurance that Jesus has removed that sin so that you can live each day as his baptized and forgiven child. Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church is at 612 North State Street in Freeburg, Illinois. Sunday worship is at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible classes at 1020 a.m., Call 618-539-5664. You can help save lives in Southern Illinois by participating in 40 Days for Life, September 28th through November 6th. Vigils will be held outside abortion facilities at Granite City, Carbondale, and Fairview Heights, Illinois. For information on Granite City, visit 40daysgc.com. To learn more about Carbondale and Fairview Heights, go to coalitionforlife.com. You can protect mothers and children by joining the worldwide effort of 40 Days for Life, September 28th through November 6th.